desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. You want the right motivation? The right motivation and aspiration is to serve. Just to be servant-hearted. To say, I serve my Lord and my King Jesus, and you get the benefit. And I do it for the Lord, and because I do it for the Lord, I will serve you. Motives matter. The reasons behind why you do something are important because they have a huge impact on the outcome. In this edition of Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel shares that people who walk with God should aspire to and be motivated by service. Jesus has done everything for you. So out of gratitude and love, you can serve him with your life. And the amazing thing is that when you serve God, others reap the benefits. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 20 as he continues his message, Rules of Aspiration. Jesus saying, no, you guys, you don't really know what you're asking for. Because what these guys are talking about and what Jesus is talking about, sitting at his right and his left hand in his kingdom, they don't understand what this is all about right now. And he he asked them this question. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized? See, Jesus is not talking about when he is glorified on the throne. He's talking about when he is glorified on the cross. And remember, when Jesus was crucified on that cross, there was a person on each side of him. See, they think that the coming of Jesus' kingdom is just all about pomp and circumstance and thrones. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. The coming of my kingdom is about suffering. And before the crown, there is the cross. Now, talk about aspiration. Now, I don't want to just skip over that. Because we see, like, we live in a day and age where everybody just wants everything, right? It's like we live in an entitlement culture where everyone just like, I don't want to do any work. Because I went to college, I should be the CEO. I never worked a day in my life, but I should be the CEO because my parents told me that I'm amazing, and so now I should be the CEO. And we forget that before someone becomes a CEO, they put in all this time and all this work and all this energy. You see these amazing athletes, you know, who are performing at this high level, and we see them on game day, but you forget that all year long they are grinding this thing out. You know, they are studying and working and it's so much time is put in before someone can do something that is extraordinary. You know, and I think we forget that sometimes because for James and for John and ultimately what we're going to find for all the disciples, they don't realize because everyone wants to that, that spot. They don't realize, no, no, no. In order to be there, you need to go through hell to get there. I just want to encourage you and is that oftentimes the things that you want, you need to be willing to keep going even when it doesn't go good. And I think for a lot of us, we quit before something amazing happens because we actually have never learned the art of perseverance. I mean, can you imagine Jesus, right? When he was fasting for 40 days and he was 
driven by the spirit into the wilderness and Satan came and tempted him. And when Satan was tempting him, he said, listen, look at all the kingdoms of the world, right? I'm gonna give them to you if you bow down and worship me. See, what's amazing about what Satan offers Jesus is Jesus, those were already his inheritance. But in order for Jesus to achieve that inheritance, he had to go through the cross. But Satan is like, I'll give it to you now. And so often, we do not achieve the things that we desire to achieve because we are willing to take a fake substitute for the thing that we really want because we're not willing to persevere through. And how many of us, you look back on our lives and there was something that you were doing that you knew God had called you to, that you knew brought blessings and glory to God and blessings into the world, but you quit because you got tired. You weren't willing to keep up. I was talking to a pastor, a guy who God has used in a real powerful way. And, and I said, you know, he had been, he's been in ministry for 35 years. And I said, you know, what? You know, of course, other than Jesus, like what God has done, what would you attribute it to? And he said, well, sometimes the guy who wins is just the last guy standing. And he's like, all along the way, I could have quit. I wanted to quit. I thought about quitting. I planned my exit, you know? And he's like, but... By God's grace, I just kept showing up. And God keeps working when we keep showing up. And so for James and John, they don't realize what they're asking for. Because in the Bible, the cup was characteristically referred in the Old Testament to judgment and retribution. It shows up the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, a lot of different places. Jesus is talking about the sufferings that are going to inaugurate his kingdom, that are going to bring his kingdom forward. And he says to him, he's like, you will drink my cup. You got to remember that these two sons, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, James was the first martyr in the book of Acts. And John ended up exiled on the mining colony of Patmos where he received the book of Revelation. So these guys understood these sufferings that Jesus was talking about ultimately. But Jesus does say to them, and I think it's really fascinating, he says, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Now, this is one of those places, and I love this about the Bible, because the Bible's got all these tensions, right? And if you really read the Bible and you really think about it, about what the Bible says from cover to cover, there's a lot of areas where there's just like, well, how does that work? And a lot of people would say, well, how can Jesus be God in the flesh if he doesn't know to whom sit at his right hand and his left hand? And the reason Jesus is God and he doesn't know that is because part of God's plan in the incarnation, Jesus in flesh, he was functionally subordinate to his father despite being equal in essence. Can I give you a great example of this? In marriage. You know how in marriage it says that husbands should love their wives and die for them and wives should submit to their husbands as under the Lord? Some people don't like that. Oftentimes it's people who don't want to believe the Bible. They say, oh man, I can't believe you believe the Bible. Wives submitting your husband. Is there anything more sexist? Actually, if you think about it, would you rather die or submit? Anybody who wants to choose? So if the Bible is sex, it's actually anti-male because he's saying, you guys, you need to die for your wives. And a woman very easily can submit to the self-sacrificial love of her husband because her husband now has her best interest in mind. Now, that's a big thing. Real quick, I don't want to get off on the marriage discussion, but some of you guys, listen, you love Jesus, you think your wife's supposed to submit to you, but you're not living self-sacrificially love to her. You better stop that business. You love her self-sacrificially, that's your job. 
God will work on her on her part of it. But too often guys say, well, you should submit to me. And I feel bad because you have these godly women and they have these husbands who love Jesus, but they're really not following him. And they make their wives make, they have to make dumb decisions because their husband's a knucklehead, you know? And that's just not right. It's not right. All the wives clap. All the guys are like, darn, Fusco, get us back. I'm aspiring. Get us back to the aspiration. I got caught preaching my example. Let me get back to my example. In marriage, a husband and a wife, right? They are equal in essence, both created in the image and likeness of God. But there is a functional subordination in the way God designed the way a marriage should work. The husband lives self-sacrificially, loves self-sacrificially, and the wife submits to the Lord and submits to that self-sacrificial love. They're equal in essence, but there is a functional subordination. It's the same picture. They're both right there. Now, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Because I realize I just kind of dropped a little bomb in there and we'll leave it there. And, and there's a lot of nuances to that. But Jesus is fully God, but yet in his incarnation, although equal in essence, is functionally subordinate. Where he's saying there's certain things that he's entrusted to his father, which is part of God's prerogative. Now, what I love about this Right? We say aspiration is normal. In verse 24, look at what you get. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Now, why were they greatly displeased? It's not about humility. It's about jealousy. It's like, you know that the other ten, they wish that they thought of that. Like, why didn't I think to go in? Why did I get my mom to come and talk to Jesus so that I got my spot? And so they, they're thinking to themselves, what was I thinking? So they're mad that they, they but really what it's learned is the aspiration is normal. So what do you aspire to today? What is the normal part of your life that you're like, this is something that I, I'm trying to achieve. Don't think that it's necessarily bad, right? It's normal. So the first rule of aspiration is that aspiration is normal. But then Jesus pops up in verse 25. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You want a rule for aspiration? Aspire for the right motivation. Aspire for the right motivation. See, because everybody aspires and aspiration is normal, now we need to make sure that our aspirations, the things that we are seeking to achieve, that we have the right motivation. And Jesus gets right at the heart of this in what he says here. He says, listen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the nations, they lord it over them. And those who exercise authority among them. So what they're saying is that amongst the non-Jewish people, the way leadership and authority, it's functioning as a kind of a lordship over people. Well, it's my decision and you can't make the decision and that's, it's not your call and all this stuff. And he's like, but it shouldn't be that way among you. See, really what Jesus is doing is he's saying, aspiration is normal, but these guys, their desires are just like the world. They have worldly aspirations. Because he's saying, you guys shouldn't all be upset. Why? Because the Romans, they enforced their power with a strong arm. They made sure that you knew your place. And in a lot of ways, in the day and age we live in, you have a lot of that going on, don't you? 
You go to your job. See, because authority can be oppressive, people think that we shouldn't have any authority, right? But you got to remember, the complete absence of authority is anarchy. No one feels safe. But God didn't design authority to be oppressive, but he designed authority to be something that will be edifying so that people will grow. Like parents, the parental authority that parents have is not to oppress your children, but to encourage and help your children grow. In the same way, within God's kingdom, like the church isn't run, like it's not anarchy where everyone just does what there's people who have to make decisions. I'm one of those people, and please pray for me. It's hard to make, I make a million decisions between good and good. It's like everything that we want to do, it's all good. Like, I love all of it, but it's not humanly possible to do all of it. So I have to make decisions. We're going to do that good thing, and we're not going to do that other good thing. And people get mad because you're like, why aren't you doing that thing? Well, we can't do everything. But you know what is amazing, though? Oftentimes, the people get mad that people aren't serving anywhere, which is a whole other thing, where it's like, they're upset, but they're like, where are you rolling up your sleeves and helping except for complaining? Because oftentimes, when you got a hand on a rower... You know, as I always say, you can't rock the boat when you're busy rowing it, right? You're busy rowing the thing. You're like, you know, and everybody's like, come and rock it. No, just keep rowing the boat. Pick up an oar, and then we'll talk about it while we're working. Anyway. (laughs) There's nothing worse than when you're rowing and people are rocking the boat. You want to hit them with the paddle, but you can't. Because I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to hit anybody with the paddle. But if Jesus were to turn his cheek for one second, you know, anyway, listen, pray for me. God's not done working on me yet, you know? But authority is not designed to be, I just, I oppress you and suppress your gifts. No, authority is actually designed to be, I encourage those gifts to come to the surface. Like as a parent, I oppress and suppress my kids when it's all about me just wanting them to be good, perfect little kids. Because some part of their personalities might show as rebellion now, but if it's nurtured, might be the gifting that God uses. Like, let me give you an example. My son, Obadiah, I love him so much. Obadiah's a talker. I can't fathom where he gets this from. <laughs> right? What I love is that Obadiah, like, he's a respectful dude, and I really appreciate it. But every time, like, we have parent-teacher conferences, and we love all of our kids' teachers. We love them. They always say, you know, Obadiah's a chatty guy, you know? And I always giggle, because I'm like, yeah, he is. But I know that God's going to use Obadiah's mouth. Because guess who got in trouble for being the chatty kid all of his life in school? <laughs> you know? And so it's about how do we help Obadiah know when to be quiet, but not to discourage the very gifts that God has placed in his life, you know? And so what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, the way the world does authority, they lord it over you, they suppress you and oppress you, not so among you, not so among you. Why? He says, whoever desires, verse 26, to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. You want the right motivation? The right motivation and aspiration is to serve. Just to be servant-hearted. To say, I serve my Lord and my King Jesus, and you get the benefit. I do it for the Lord, and because I do it for the Lord, I will serve you. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 says it this way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. 
for consider what great things he has done for you. Oh, I love that. See, when you consider what great things God has done for you, you will fear him. And the idea of fearing God, it means both fearing God's authority because he is the ultimate judge of all the earth and also fearing breaking God's heart because of the relationship we get to have with God. We fear him and then we serve him in truth. So the right motivation for us to aspire to is that we be simple servants. See, the point is this, is that the values of our society, whether it was Roman in Jesus' day or good old-fashioned 21st century Americanism in our day, does not apply to the people of God. Authority and greatness among the disciples is meant to be used in the reverse of the way that the world uses it, where the world says, I am going to oppress you with my authority And Jesus says, no, I will serve you with my authority. Are you a servant? Or is your way of, I want what I want. If you don't give me what I want, I will get mad at you. And I will let you know how upset I am with you. Listen to John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also, now don't miss this. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Wow. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So at this point in the message, it comes, the next question comes is, how are you serving Jesus? And brothers and sisters, listen, for most of us, we're not. Our entire life is designed to serve us and our aspirations. But if you spend your whole life serving yourself and your own desires and aspirations, then you are aspiring to the wrong things and you will never achieve the things that you truly want. See, there's nothing worse than living a life when you realize that everything that I've done, it's all been fine and well, but I missed the main thing about life which is serving the Lord. Brothers, I'm here to tell you, sisters, God is growing this congregation so quickly that we can't keep up with what God is doing. And our biggest prayer is that the family of God here at Crossroads would step up because like kids ministry, add a lid, we need more help. Student ministries, add a lid, we need more help. Like, in every single ministry, our women's ministry doubled in size and then it doubled again. It's like, need help there. Men's ministry doubled in size. Guess what? It just doubled again in the last four weeks. Need help there. Greetings, ushers, we have, there's a million things going on. Like, literally, if we sent 100 people to Crossroads Kids right now, they still need more people because of the number of people that God is sending here for us to serve. But then you ask yourself, like, Lord, if... As a big church, why does it only seem like a small percentage of the body is serving? And a small percentage does all the service for everything, and the large percentage don't. And the Lord said, well, Daniel, it's because they're too busy. I was praying, like, Lord, what's going on? They're too busy. They're too busy building their kingdoms. It's not that they're doing bad things, most of them, but it's they're not keeping the most important things in front of them. And he's like, and now you have to go remind them of that. I'm not saying that whatever you're doing is wrong, unless the Bible says it's wrong, and then it's absolutely wrong. But what I am saying is that if your aspirations 
do not include being a servant of the most high God, then you're aspiring the wrong things. And I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't tell you that. I don't have to look at an audit your life. You just say, Lord, is the aspirations of my life lined up with what you say true greatness is in your kingdom? And this is what I love about the Lord, because the Lord doesn't just give us a hard time because he appreciates that. He's just kind of fun that way. Like, I love giving everyone a hard The Lord loves us enough, to, like the rich young ruler that we saw in the last message. The Lord loves us enough to challenge us when we're living in a way that does not line up with his purposes and plans for our abundant life, for the life that God has for us. So make sure that your aspiration is for the right motivation, which is to be a servant, to be a servant, right? Now, in verse 28, we're going to close this out. Look at what it says here. Just as... The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, we need to aspire like Jesus. Because we aspire like Jesus, because Jesus isn't saying, listen, you want to be great in the kingdom, be the servant of all. You want to be the first, be the slave. He says, no, just watch me. I love that. Jesus doesn't just talk the talk. He walks it. He's like, look, you want to see how this works? Watch me. Because he says, just as the son of man, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, when we aspire like Jesus, we realize that Jesus is the supreme example of service to others. And I think that this is really powerful because we don't follow a myth, we follow a person who is the ultimate example of the things that he wants us to be. See, Jesus has been explaining to his disciples all through this last section or this middle section of Matthew's gospel that he was going to die. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to die. But now he explains why he's dying. And look at why Jesus is dying. To give his life a ransom for many. Now, you think of a ransom. Now, I don't know about you. I like me a good suspense movie where, you know, someone's kidnapped. They're trying to get the person back, and there's a smart guy or girl who, who's got all the crazy military training, and they know how to get them back. And, but the ransom is the money that you pay to get somebody back. That's exactly why Jesus died. And brothers and sisters, that is why we believe in Jesus, because Jesus gave his life to pay the ransom for my life and for your life, for the sins, the mistakes that you have made, the rebellion against God that we have all found ourselves involved in. Jesus paid that price in his own life. And my friends, that's the good news. And the good news is that if you want your life to be redeemed by Jesus, he has already paid the price on the cross. That's why it says, a life is a ransom for all? No, for many. Why? Because not all will believe. But if all would believe, that ransom is sufficient for everybody. Jesus is You see it a lot in action movies. Someone is kidnapped or in bondage and the bad guy demands a ransom for their release. Well, this was your reality too. You were in bondage to sin and brokenness, but Jesus paid your ransom with his life. He bought your freedom. Pastor Daniel wrapped up today's teaching by reminding you that Jesus aspired to give you abundant life. Motivated by love, he came to serve and set you free so that you could fully live. 
Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will dive into how Jesus used stories called parables in his teachings. Often, Jesus did this to help people grab onto deep truths in ways they could understand and stuck with them. But there were other times that Jesus taught in parables to give the listener a bit of a hard time. Come back to study how Jesus used parables in the last days of his ministry. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Real Talk. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.